Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Tradecast, presented by Roto-Viz Radio and brought to you by the FFPC. Well, fellas, uh, I am talking to you. I say this every time I talk to you first. It means that our good friend, the loyal Eric Burtzlaff, was unable to make it tonight. But in Eric's place, we do have my good friend, Dan Sanio. Dan, how are you tonight? Well, you know, I'm good. I'm good. A little, a little uh, hustled to, to get where I got and, and make it a little bit on time. We're a little bit delayed, but, you know, we're here and we're going to have a, uh, an all-important episode about the most volatile position in all of fantasy football. But I'm here for it, man. I've got the takes ready and uh, we've, got a, we've got a good guest who hopefully is going to have some equally as fire takes. Wait, we're, we're doing a uh, podcast on kickers today? Uh, yeah, let's go with kickers. Maybe punters. Can we add punters into that? All special teams, defense special teams. Well, we'll have to see if I can get that added to, into the listener league, of course. But uh, you mentioned our guest. Our guest today is Rotoviz editor, and I should have asked before I said anything, but now I'm going to mess it up. Here we go, Hassan Rahim. Am I saying that right, Hassan? One hundred percent. Yeah, you're after the. Oh yeah, let's go. Oh, Blind squirrel <laughs> nut. Oh, you know the whole nine. <laughs> But Hassan, uh, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Um, uh, anything you want to, you know, uh, promote for our listeners or anything like that before we start the show? Uh, no, thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm actually a huge fan of the Dynasty Tradecast. Uh, believe it or not, I started playing Dynasty about three years ago, and it was like the first pod that I found and really helped me out uh, all those years ago. Um, anything for the listeners, subscribe to uh, Rotoviz, uh, the website. We've got all these fantastic apps and tools. We're going to be releasing a few new ones, I believe, and there's a lot of great dynasty content going up on the site right now uh when we when the nfl draft happened we actually a bunch of writers uh were cranking out immediate reaction pieces uh, and then there's a bunch of really fantastic work being done right now uh particularly in the tight end space actually which is luckily the show that we're talking about uh phil Watkins and john lipinski have done some fantastic work modeling the success probability of tight ends and uh, you can check out what the probability of success is for last season's tight ends was and this year's tight ends. Well, there you go, Hassan. You're taking all my jobs. You're, you're doing the ad read, and I'll, <laughs> I'll just do it while we're here. You are listening to the Dynasty Streetcast, brought to you by Rotoviz, and I want everyone to know you get a listeners-only 30% discount to Rotoviz NFL Pass to the NFL Podcast homepage, rotoviz.com slash podcast. Your subscription gives you unlimited access to all of our NFL content and also supports the pod. Also, you can contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com. Tell them how awesome me, Dan, Eric, and Hassan are. And on Twitter, at rotovizradio. And as, as Eric says, slide into those DMs. Rotoviz Radio is a fantastic collection of podcasts. They're now available on both BlogTech Radio and iTunes. You can find us along with the rest of the Rotoviz shows under Rotoviz Radio. We also have our own individual feed for just this show. Simply search Dynasty Tradecast, a Rotoviz FF podcast. And Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app, click, click subscribe and leave a rating and review. So, uh, Dan, like I said, Hassan was taking all my jobs there. Uh, today, we're going to be focusing on the tight end position. So, we're going to focus on the big topics of, of the tight ends in the dice community right now as we enter. You know, this is kind of the, the weird phase where we've probably, you know, beat to death the, the rookie draft or rookie auction strategies. And we had our debates about, you know, rookie etiquette and things like that last week. So let's kind of try and, you know, veer more towards some non-rookie arguments. We'll, we'll talk about some rookies a little bit later in the show. But I, I think we can talk about some veterans again. What do you think, Dan? I think that sounds good. And I, I think uh, I think we can touch on a, a subject that doesn't really get talked about much 
outside of, you know, your Gronks and your Kelsey's just because it's kind of a blech subject. But we're going to make it fun. We're going to make it interesting. Uh, tight end is gross, but we're going to find you those guys to win your leagues, whether it be Dynasty or if you're listening for, for you know, season-long reasons, great. We can provide you some help there, too. All righty. We're going to start us off. Everyone knows where you start with the tight end position. Is that going to be Robert Gronkowski? Dan, it's the annual Gronk question. And from a dynasty perspective, is he evaluated his ADP? Is, a, is he a guy you're going out to acquire? Are you afraid of the injuries at, at his age and the, the back? What are your thoughts on Gronk from a dynasty perspective today? Dynasty perspective, it's just kind of the same for me specifically as it's always been. I've never went and spent on tight end unless my roster is completely filled out and I have the extra the extra assets to go and do that, you know, whether it be future picks, whether it be some back-end starters or back-end depth that happens to start for other teams, some youth, things like that. So specifically, no, I'm not going out and targeting Gronk, but I am going out and asking that question to all of my uh, all of my league mates, all of the Gronk owners. Hey, are you looking to move Gronk at all? Blah, blah, blah. You know, those just, just asking those simple questions just to see if they're trying to get out from under him. Maybe their teams are getting a little bit older. They want to move on. So if I can get him at a discount, I'll absolutely dig in and, and try to make something happen. But if I have to hit for, for ADP or for market value, I, I'm probably just going to pass and try, try to shoot my shot a little bit lower down the list in, in tight end. Yeah, and I'm really on board with what Dan just said. Like right now, Gronk's got a bunch of red flags. Specifically, is he holding out for a new contract? Will they be giving him a new contract? You know, there's been all this like chatter about retirement. And it's hard to tell if it's smoke or whether there's like an actual fire here. And maybe his value truly can be found in the trade market much lower than you can actually find in a startup draft. Yeah, I think that with Robert Gronkowski, he is certainly cheaper on the trade market than, than he would be in a startup. In a startup, he's likely going in that early third, mid-third range, which is still you know a nice tier of assets where it's running back wide receiver that you want to load up at those positions. But for, for me, you have to not be afraid of sending what someone might perceive as a bad offer because the wide range of outcomes with what someone might be able to be willing to sell Gronk for it's so wide that there might be a guy that say, okay, I won't sell him for anything less than 102. And there might be a guy who, if you offer him like the 111 and 201, he might be like, oh, like that's not too far off. So, I mean, in general, I'm not too afraid of sending a bad offer as Dan might be able to, to uh, account for. <laughs> but uh, I, I think with a player as wide around range as Gronk, if you're trying to acquire him, don't shoot high at first. Try and shoot a little lower. And if the guy tells you to, to screw off and just say, okay, I'll, I'll try and uh, a cheaper tight end. Yeah, it's a touchy, touchy subject. You never, you never want to go crazy low, but at the same time, with someone like that, like you said, Nathan, there's such a wide range of outcomes. Um, you know, there's the perception could be anywhere from, hey, he's still a first rounder to I wouldn't be comfortable to taking him into like the fifth or sixth round. So you have to start at some point. I'm, I'd be starting, like you said, Nathan, maybe like a late one just to see, just to feel that owner out and kind of see where they're at. Maybe even just start with like an uh, an upside wide receiver that doesn't really have a ton of fantasy relevance right now, like maybe a Devontae Parker or something like that. Someone that how did how did I know you were going to say that exact name? Like the first name that popped in my head. It just for me for me it just it makes sense in that tier. That's like right at the end of the guys where I'm comfortable grabbing them and plugging them in and playing them. And Parker and Gronk, you know, obviously Gronk, I'm comfortable plugging in and playing, but he's as, because of the tight end designation. And yeah, we can say, oh, well, he's be a wide receiver one. Great. 
fine. <laughs> you can have him as your wide receiver one. I'll take him as my tight end one if I can get him for you know close to tight end two prices. Yeah, and I'm kind of on board with that. I mean, obviously, we're not discussing like a TE premium format where you get 1.5 points per reception, which, again, it also becomes kind of debatable how you want to build that. Because my question to you guys is, in a dynasty startup, and even in tight end premium, would you rather take Kelsey over Gronk here? Like, is there, are we at the, you know, passing of the torch? In, in a startup, I'm not taking either. Uh, but... If I if like if you put me in a corner and said okay you're building a team for the future take one I'll probably go Kelsey but it's one of those scenarios where I'm just not taking either because I don't like either at their specific value from a starter perspective. Yeah, the value's tough. I think I actually think if I'm pinning them against each other and I have to take one, I'm taking Gronk just because I know that I'm going to get at least one more of those massive seasons out of him. Um, just because we don't we don't know what the future holds. Belichick's been known to get rid of a guy a year too early rather than a year too late. So maybe this is the year that Gronk has done with the Patriots. I doubt it, but there's always those little snippets. Like a sound like you said earlier, whatever there's smoke, maybe there's fire. This potentially could be fire finally. But yeah, I think I think if it's a short term thing and I'm really ready to win and I have the stuff, I'm gonna get Gronk instead of Kelsey there. Alrighty, uh, let's move on. And unless, do, do you have any specific uh, uh, Kelsey takes us on? Uh, not really. Uh, I mean, all I know is that he accounts for like a significant chunk of the target share over in Kansas City. But apart from that, with Mahomes under center, you know, we have got a possibly a new offense, and then with Sammy Watkins added to the mix, I don't know if he's going to be able to maintain that or, or how that target share is going to be split up. So you know, maybe buying high on Kelsey right now might not be the best use of your fantasy assets here maybe the way to go would be trying to find a way to get Mahomes in your roster and just sort of take the guy distributing them the ball and take those points for where they are yeah that's certainly uh, a strategy I see a lot in redraft when people are talking about like the Giants offense where they have so many weapons with OBJ and Ingram and Sterling Shepard and all those guys have fairly high ADPs man they look at Eli who's being drafted in the 13th 14th round it's like well there's something not right either his weapons are way overvalued or he's undervalued so the, the quarterback is always a nice play on when there's so many weapons in the offense. A, you don't have to worry about, okay, who's going to get have the big week? And B, traditionally, the quarterback in that offense is going to be the undervalued one um, because quarterbacks are undervalued. I appreciate you you listing Sterling Shepard there and not Saquon Barkley at all. Uh, that's that's a big... I, I, don't know who, I, don't know, I don't know who that is. So. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that, Nathan. Um, yeah, the, the Kelsey, you know, the, the Kelsey deal, I think, I think the the move there is is maybe to go in the running back category as well as quarterback but we know that they're going to feed those running backs targets we know they're going to get carries that's just how Andy Reid plays we know Tyreek Hill is going to continue to be high efficiency uh we'll see what Sammy Watkins brings to the table beyond that there's not a ton but I mean the that high-end starters there it's it's kind of going to spread those the big target shares a little bit thin I can't imagine they're going to they're going to skim Kelsey's target share, but at the same time, it might not be uh, as big of an upside as it maybe was before when it was just Hill and Kelsey getting the big share of those. All righty, let's move on to our next topic. And uh, let's assume tier one or tier one A and tier one B. So the next discussion for tight ends is where does tier two end? Um, You know, most people see it as Ingram, Ertz, Henry, Howard, and Joku. 
Some might squeeze in the Jimmy Graham. But we do have some breaking news as we're recording this three days before you're listening to it, and that's that Hunter Henry has torn his ACL per Adam Schefter. So I guess we can start with that. Hassan, the torn ACL for Hunter Henry, does this move him out of this tier? Was he never in this tier? What are your thoughts on Henry and just this, this tier in general? Yeah, I'm kind of in mixed minds with Henry here because I just recently moved Ertz uh, and a pick for Henry plus uh, another player in a, in a different league. And it's one of those where I felt like I was getting a decentish value if only because Antonio Gates was gone. You know, like were, Hunter Henry is clearly the move tight end. I mean, he doesn't – He maybe he would have seen a bump up in targets. So I'm kind of lost there. Uh, I would – I don't know if I'd much rather have Ertz. I'm – Yes, I'm fine with it. And I guess Evan Ingram and Njoku, I guess one of the things about this tier is a guy like Kyle Rudolph seems to be perennially undervalued. And I think when you're sort of worrying about picking these guys because, you know, they're young, they've got a lot of hype, but someone like Rudolph was also fairly young coming off that breakout campaign from a couple of years ago. He slots in lower in terms of ADP, particularly in startups, and you could probably get him fairly cheapish in trades. Uh, Nathan, I know you and I just recently completed a trade for Delaney Walker. I sent you a 2019 second, and you sent me back uh, Walker. He's another guy who I think is valuable in startups, if only because I think you're going to get one year of production out of him. I don't know how high, what his ceiling would be, but John Smith tore his MCL back in January in that playoff loss. And sure, he's supposed to be ready by OTAs, but it's difficult to tell whether or not he's going to have the same athleticism, explosiveness. And maybe he's still half a season away. And by then, hopefully, you can find someone on waivers to help balance you out. I think I think we need to get rid of Eric. I'm, I'm kind of just digging on Hassan here. I think we need to keep Hassan. We need to get rid of Eric. Um, yeah, man, the, the Kyle Rudolph take, that's huge. He he belongs in this category. And I actually have Ertz up in the first tier. So I have it Gronk and Kelsey, 1A, 1B, uh, Ertz 3, and then tier. Uh, so I'm all on board with with like the Ingram, Howard, and uh, Joku. And then we got to have gotta have Rudolph in there. Um, Kirk Cousins is seems like a tight end kind of guy. Uh, those guys play golf together. I don't know if you know that. I've got picture proof of Cousins and Rudolph and Thielen playing golf together. No big deal. Um, <laughs> so that's important stuff. That's inside scoop knowledge. You heard it here first. They play golf together. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a young tier. I don't have Henry in that tier. I have him just beyond it. Um, I could understand he, he, why. He, even before the ACL tier, he, ACL tier, he was out of that tier? He was just on the back side of that tier. I don't think it moves him much. Obviously, we're going to lose... We're going to lose the season, but at the same time, he's still really young and there's going to be plenty to go in the future. And we don't know how much longer Philip Rivers is around. Uh, obviously, Keenan Allen and Melvin Gordon are the alphas there, but Henry still had a solid role, even with Gates taking a little bit off the back end there. And there's not a ton of high end guys there, you know, for future. You know, Mike Williams, we don't know. Uh, Tyrell Williams, is he even still there? Um, there's there's just not much there. So I think they're kind of building the offensive core to help the transition from Rivers to whoever else is coming. So I think for future, Henry maybe belongs at the back end of this tier or just in the start of the next one. Uh, I was never a big fan, but I think he will be pretty fa- fantasy relevant. I think he definitely slots in in that mid tight end one to, to low end tight end one tier. Um, so I, I think... Yeah, I I don't hate having him in this group. It just it gets a little a little messy, especially now with the ACL. 
Yeah, this will fit under confirmation bias 101 uh, population, Nathan. Uh, I don't have Hunter Henry in any leagues. I've always thought that if it took him this long to, you know, supplant Antonio Gates towards the back half of his career where he hasn't done much, that he isn't that supreme talent that maybe the, the biggest of his fans are. So, I mean, I wouldn't have considered him in the Ingram, Ertz, Howard, and Joku tier um, even before the injury. Um, but I, certainly with the injury, it's something to worry about as far as, you know, NFL teams, they kind of forget about young guys who get injured and, and miss an entire season. You know, they tend to, you know, try and acquire other players through the draft or free agency, and they try and move on, you know. So, and I don't think Hunter Henry has performed well enough to his, and in his career to this point to like supplant, oh, this guy's guaranteed to get touched when he returns in what would be 2019. So um, I'm skeptical on him at this point. I, I'd be trying to, if I, if you can, you know, I don't never, never like to sell low, but if you could sell him for like an early second this year or what looks like to be an early second next year still somehow, I, that's the move I would pounce on. And if you really want to get a tight end on the Los Angeles Chargers, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but <laughs> Virgil Green. Yes. Virgil Early on waivers. Just, oh, no. Hassan, no. <laughs> Oh, that's, that's a that's a head first dive in the deep end. I love it. Eh, I mean, I mean, uh, I've been in a position where I, you know, like last season, where Earth was a late scratch, and I was able to somehow luckily plug and play Trey Burton. And now look, I mean, Trey Burton has he overtaken Adam Shaheen in terms of uh, dynasty startup ADP? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, and and she, and Shaheen, that was he was coming on like pretty strong and. He's probably one of those guys who's undervalued. You know, you've got like a, a, these sophomore guys are kind of undervalued. You've got your Ricky Seals-Joneses, then you've got your Gerald Everett's. You know, and if you really, I mean, one of the things that I actually kind of don't mind doing is getting just marginal production. And a guy who's just horrifically undervalued in Dynasty right now is uh, Jared Cook. He is the tight end one over on the Oakland Raiders. Uh, you can do... Better than Jared Cook, but not for his price and to the ROI you're going to get just by having him in your lineup. And I guarantee you could probably get him for a 2019 fourth because someone will just look at it and say, I can't believe I have Jared Cook on my, in my roster. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. I, I, Jared Cook and Vernon Davis, those are the guys that end up starting on my rosters every year because I don't invest 100%. in the tight end position. So, so I, I, have no, I have no problem saying Jared Cook is a solid buy for, for a you know, fourth-round pick. Um, but let's move on to our next one, and that's going to be Mike Gusecki. Uh He's a guy who's not quite in that tier we just talked about, um, and he's probably behind Kyle Rudolph and Jimmy Graham as well. Uh, what does he have to do in his rookie year, Dan, to kind of put himself in that conversation with the Ingrams, Howards, and Njokus? Find a different football team with a better head coach and an actual quarterback. Is that is that within the is that within reason? <laughs> um, I hate the Adam Gaze effect. I do not like wide receiver turned quarterback. Still, probably a better wide receiver Ryan Tannehill. But there is nothing there to take targets away from Mike Gesicki. Yes, they went out and spent money on Albert Wilson. Kenny Stills is probably the alpha there. Devontae Parker is probably predominantly a. a big time red zone threat, maybe down the field guy as well. But at the same time, there's, there's just nothing super exciting there. They went and got Kalen Balaj in the, uh, in the NFL draft. Who's a good pass catcher. Kenyon Drake's going to probably just take the lion's share of the, of the touches out of the backfield. But Balaj could probably just roll with, you know, the, they can might even go two back sets and just they because both those guys can catch balls, but Balaj is almost predominantly a wide receiver. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think Gasecki is firmly in that in that tier. I mean, he's a freak of an athlete. He showed that he can play the position in college. By, by tier, you mean the, the third or the, behind those guys? Yeah, the tier behind these guys. I would, I honestly am probably taking him ahead of Henry. Um, I don't know that I would take him ahead of Rudolph, but at the same time, the pick that it would take to get Gasecki is probably worth more than what Rudolph is. So that's kind of one of those in-betweeners that we talk about occasionally on the show. Um, so yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Mike Gusecki. I, I think he's in one of the worst spots but is in a spot to succeed if that makes sense just because there's nothing else there yeah and earlier at the top of the show i mentioned the uh phil Watkins' tight end model and the most interesting thing about it is it gives kaseki a similar probability of success well actually gives him the almost exact same probability of success as it gave oj howard so in a sense you're almost looking at the arbitrage oj howard playing in a in an offense which fine Ryan Tannehill, Adam Gase, all that other stuff. But he's just got availability. I mean, we're still waiting on the Devontae Parker breakout, which at this point feels like we're waiting for Gatto. You've got Kenny Stills. And then, you know, you've got Leontay Carew, like Jakeem Grant, Albert Wilson, Danny Amendola. And none of these guys physically profile like Mike Gusecki. Like, if you're looking for this season's probable Evan Ingram, like, this just might be it. And the fact that he's available at a discount relative to the other guys, even in startups, means... He might like is like like what you said, Dan. I would consider Gasecki as probably the the DE to to draft maybe after Rudolph's off the board. Man, how did we miss the boat so long on Hassan? What is going on here? We Hassan, <laughs> we need you on like every week, dude. <laughs> Jeez, Dan. People, people are agreeing with me. This is fantastic. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the other part in uh, Miami there is uh, Durham. Is it Smythe or is it Smith? And yes, this is a real reach, but I'm asking. I don't know. Durham, we're going to call him Smith for now with an E on the end. He is going to snake like six red zone touchdowns because he's always going to be on the field because he's actually a really good blocker. He's a mediocre receiving tight end, but he's going to be out there. This is going to be similar to my uh, Ricky Seals Jones call last year preseason of uh, potential breakouts that I got laughed at. Similar to Tyreek Hill and Nathan the year before that, that Nathan got laughed at. So we're just kind of known for making real deep, horrible takes that turn out here. So uh, Durham, Smith, Smythe, Smoth, uh, go get him late in your drafts. Tight end premium only. Yeah, my, my guess like you take, it's kind of the run of the bill. Everybody makes the same rookie tight end take. But it's, yes, there's target opportunity in the Dolphins offense, and he could show some flashes in year one. But it's very unlikely that he shows any sort of, you know, actual like fantasy production that you can rely on from any sort of week to week basis. So I think that his, his market value will be the same, maybe a little bit less than it, it was, uh, you know, uh, around 12 months from now. So I'm fine investing a mid second round rookie pick, but other than that, I'm, I'm fading him in rookie drafts. Um, but I do think he has that potential to enter that second tier, maybe in two years rather than one. Cause he, yes, he's a very good prospect, but he isn't quite to the level of, the Howard and Joku Ingram who all went in the first round of the NFL draft, or I guess didn't it was Ingram second, second round pick, but yeah, they were both all, all, you know, top 50 or so picks. So let's move on to our next one. It's going to be another sophomore tight end, George Kittle. Uh, this guy, I think he's become an effect in uh, Dan on another uh, audio platform. We talked about Kyle Shanahan and basically said he was the greatest thing to ever happen to the NFL, but George Kittle might follow along the uh, line of, the San Francisco offense slash Kyle Shanahan disciples 
are being overvalued. George Kittle being drafted as the tight end nine per ADP right now. And I, I think that we're kind of just throwing all the San Francisco weapons in a bucket and saying, all right, all these guys are going to produce this year. I think Kittle is just fine, but I think vaulting him up to that tight end nine spot might be a bit premature. Yeah, the the Kittle love is the one the one piece of the Shanahan offense that I don't understand because historically Shanahan doesn't use tight end all that effectively. We see high ends of like 80, 85 targets outside of, um, I forget who, maybe like Owen Daniels in Houston, the, like five, six years ago. Um, he, there's just, there's not the big time upside. So Kittle had something like 60, 65 targets last year. There's not going to be a big enough leap and enough going to him. I don't believe, even though there, it is kind of limited as far as targets there. I don't think we're going to see him surpass that 75, 80 target mark just because that's what Shanahan does. That's how his offense is built. And now you have the, you know, you, you have Pierre Garçon who's going to get, who's going to get most of those targets. We, we kind of can just plug and play that. Um, you've got a couple of couple of new guys in town. Um, like Richie James even could become relevant really quickly, it, you know, as far as like a deeper stash type asset. And then you, obviously Jarek McKinnon is going to get a ton of targets. Uh, we've seen a couple of things today already on Twitter and we've seen it over the, you know, during the off season, but OTAs just started and it's already, you know, Oh, Jarek McKinnon could catch 70 passes, 80 passes. It's like, yeah, he definitely could. <laughs> he absolutely could. I don't see Kittle getting to that, that mark at all you know maybe maybe like a 55 60 catch season which is really good for tight end but at the same time propping him up at tight end nine assuming the big volume spike and assuming that the shanahan offense means a lot for him is bad process um i but at the same time is there anybody else behind him that should be there that's the big question i don't know that there's anything else behind him outside of you know your jared cooks your charles clays but you're not putting them in at tight end nine even though i think they might be more productive so the interesting thing about George Kittle, and we're going to play a little bit of small sample size theater. If you take his last four starts with Jimmy Garoppolo, like the last four games where he started in the season, and then you assume he's going to score that over the course of all 17 games, that would have made him the tight end nine last season. So that means he's like already being priced at ceiling, you know, with Jimmy Garoppolo under setter. You've got no Pierre Garçon to steal away targets. Marquise Goodwin struggled the last two games with injuries as well. And now you're going to dummy this guy is like, you know, the tight end nine. When you look at his actual splits for the road of his splits app, he's got the same number of targets with or without Jimmy Garoppolo. He's seen the same number of catches. He saw a similar, you know, TD percentage. The only thing that kind of bumped up were his receiving yards and, you know, I mean, they've got a bunch of, like, weapons out there in the receiving court. You've got Dante Pettis. You've got uh, Antonio, um, not Antonio Callaway. You've got Trent Taylor. You've got a fully healthy, hopefully, knock on wood, Pierre Garçon. And you've got an actual pass-catching running back. I mean, say what you want about Carlos Hyde, but once Jimmy Garoppolo took over, those targets for Hyde dried up pretty quickly. And he's going to be competing with all these guys for targets, and it's difficult to really swallow the tight end nine pricing on him, assuming he's going to ascend from what is already currently his best case scenario. And in that, and in this case, uh, you know, I mean, with uh, who, who would you take after him? I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe a Jack Doyle. Uh, I, I don't know what, you, what your guys' thoughts are on him. Just an ugly, like, you know, tier of like player. But I mean, who, like when you look at how barren the indie depth chart is versus what, you know, the 49ers have going for them, whether or not luck starts, it's, it's irrelevant because he like outside of, 
D.Y. Hilton to just have a bunch of water bugs that, and Ryan Grant, I guess. Water yeah, bugs. There are, there are actually <laughs> plenty of, I mean, obviously you guys can agree or disagree with the list I'm about to give, but there are plenty of guys going below Kittle that I would prefer to Kittle. I mean, I'd rather take the shot with Jordan Reed, Mike Gusecki, Delaney Walker, Tyler Eifert, Dallas Goddard. These are all guys that are going way after uh, George Kittle. And this kind of just speaks more to I don't want to invest heavily in tight end. But if I were to, if I have George Kittle on my roster and want to, you know, maybe invest in tight end, I have zero problem going with like George Kittle in like a mid-second or George Kittle in a late second and trying to get into that second tier that we talked about with Ingram, Howard, and Joku and Ertz. I mean, it, it might take a little bit more than maybe a mid-second. But, you know, just going from the tight end nine to tight end six shouldn't be that expensive. So uh, that would be my thoughts is I'd actually rather, you know, spend up a little bit more to get in that second tier. But also there are guys after him that I'd much rather have. And I, I haven't seen Kittle move much on the trade market. So, I mean, I'm guessing the guys I named after him aren't going to be traded for him too often. But if I can trade straight up too, I would do that as well. Yeah, I think I'd be on board with, with Kittle and just any, for the sake of trading, any random future first to get up into that next tier. And if it means that I can even get up as high as, you know, like an Ertz who still somehow seems undervalued. Uh, I, I think, I think moving up from Kittle into a better tight end and not spending a ton of, uh, a ton of value on the tight end position. You know, if you can give up a, a random first or a late first or whatever it happens to be to move up into somebody that you actually trust at the position rather than someone who has to be extrapolated, like Hassan just gave us to get to their ceiling, I don't, you know, I don't hate that move at all. I, I, it sucks getting out of the Shanahan offense, but at the same time, like I said before, I don't know that that ceiling is any higher than we're already looking at. And I mean, there's still like very, I mean, and there are plenty of like tight ends who you can find on these offenses who should just see a boatload of ugly targets. Whether that matters or not is is kind of irrelevant. You know, you've got your Luke Wilson's, your Ed Dixon's. Uh, I mentioned, I previously mentioned Gerald Everett, but then you've got, I mean, you could probably honestly trade for John Smith right now, if only because uh, maybe he's he's available. But then think about the two rookie tight ends that Baltimore drafted, Mark Andrews and Hayden Hurst. One of these guys has to work out, right? At some point, like you got Charles Clay on the on the Bills, Austin Safran Jenkins on the on the Jags. Just like this ugly tier of hopeful, productive, maybe a spike week here or there guys who I'd rather have and. Maybe if you own Kittle, you could look to swap him for maybe someone in that ugliest tier, but also be targeting a decent asset given the fact that you want to be selling the guy who's starting on his upswing. All right, let's move on to our final tight end of the day. And let's probably make this quick because now that Eric's here, I can you know, try and speed up the show a little bit. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be the, the tight end conundrum of the, of the rookie draft class, the combination of talent and, and draft capital combined with a very suboptimal situation. That's Dallas Goddard. He enters the Eagles uh, offense as the tight end to behind Zach Ertz, a guy who has signed a long-term contract with the Philadelphia Eagles. So, Hassan, we'll start with you. Uh, does Goddard have no hope from an IC perspective because he's stuck behind Ertz? I actually kind of thought that, but uh, Neil Dutton over on Rotoviz wrote a fantastic piece about Dallas Goddard going to the Eagles. He, uh, he mentioned that uh, in, the, in the article, he mentioned that since Doug Peterson took over as head coach, the Eagles have been among the lead leaders in deploying multiple tight ends. Uh, and according to Sharp Football Stats, only the Colts have lined up in 12 personnel more than the Eagles over the last two seasons. The Eagles lined up in 12, uh, 58% of the time, which is uh, above the league average of 46%. Goddard is significantly more talented than Richard Rodgers. And so, you know, you're probably going to see him 
immediately take over as like tight end two, probably as soon as training camp breaks. And Ertz, as much as you know, we think he's undervalued and he's a fantastic guy to have in that TE slot. He is, you know, he has missed games with injury, and all that means is Goddard's going to be the guy who's going to be getting all those sweet Carson Wentz targets and just getting those blow up games. So grab him if, if people think he's in a poorish spot. Yeah, if Goddard slides in your rookie drafts, he's absolutely phenomenal to have in best ball leagues. Because like Hassan said, Ertz isn't the healthiest man on earth. He's going to miss some games. That's just part of, it's the nature of the beast and the tight end position. Uh, it's it's just kind of a gross, a gross spot. So, you know, you bring up the 12 personnel, it's becoming more and more popular. You even have teams like the Dolphins, who this offseason, Gase came out and said he wants to run more of the 13 personnel. Yes, that's 13. That means three tight ends, <laughs> which doesn't look good for a fantasy outlook, but uh, it's it's there. So the yeah, the, the two tight end sets are big time. We saw it work last year when they had Trey Burton on the field alongside um, Zach Ertz, and it, you know, it works. It's good for them. It, it frees up their outside guys. It frees up Aguilar in the middle. Like I said, it, it frees up Alshon Jeffrey outside. The running backs aren't you know, aren't anything special, nothing, nothing that scares me away from the tight ends, maybe getting the extra target share that's there. I'm sure the running backs are still going to get a little bit of work here and there, but when you have Carson Wentz back there, um, it's, you know, you feel pretty comfortable having a lot of those, a lot of those guys, because even though they may not throw it a ton because of how great that defense is, it's good. They're going to be an efficient offense. That's just how Peterson works. That's how that offense is. And honestly, like I said before, if you can if you can get him in a best ball league, that's that's option A. Even even in your regular leagues, he's going to be nice to have uh, as a rookie or maybe even in his sophomore season as just kind of a plug and play for when Ertz does get hurt because it's going to happen. That's just how tight ends are. No one's ever super super healthy for sixteen games, so uh, I can see him getting some good work. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely on board with the best ball take there, Dan. I I, I think that the issue with even if they do play 12 personnel, how often are you going to be able to play the second tight end in an offense? You know, outside of the Gronkowski-Hernandez era, uh, you rarely see, you know, two fantasy productive tight ends that are both playing at the same time. So, yes, Goddard might be able to get some touchdowns here and there that to support his best ball value. But in playing, I don't see myself putting Goddard in the lineup very often. But also, you know, the NFL is an unpredictable sport, and it's unlikely that, Ertz and Goddard are on the same team for the next three, four, or five years. So uh, I, I have some hope for Goddard, but definitely tempered expectations, which will also result in a lower, you know, rookie draft capital investment, maybe more so of a late second more than a mid second, which he probably should have been based on where he went in the NFL draft. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, if it, if he keeps sliding and you can get him in that late two zone, even sometimes I've seen him go early three, which just seems crazy. Um, but the name of the game is scoring points. So if you have to spend that pick to have a good tight end for the future, who may it may take a few years to take over. We've seen that that tight end window usually take about three years before we need, see anything super you know fancy to look at. So if you have to just kind of get three, four, five games of use out of this guy for a third round pick. That seems like an absolute steal to me. Plus, you have him for future because, again, he's young. He's going to be productive in the future once maybe they move on from Earth, once he you know kind of hits that that age plateau, even though tight end seems to go a little bit older. Um, it, it's It just seems like a really good buy for the price. So to answer the original question, Nathan, of does Goddard have any hope? Yes, I think there's a good amount of hope here. I think he's a good 
a good buy based on his ADP. And I think that's a really smart value. Like we mentioned before, and we'll mention again, we'll bang the drum for it in best ball. Try to get your hands on Goddard because he's going to be really nice to have at that value. No, I mean, I kind of agree with exactly what you guys said. Fastball or bust, really. Uh, this show just, it's just such an ugly position. And I don't know what else to say. If you don't have one of the top three, like you're really better off just going dumpster diving for your tight end slot. It's tough, but that's just how it goes. There you go. All right. It's time to transition, folks. And during that transition, I will tell you about our friends, the Fantasy Football Players Championship the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. Fantasy draft season is heating up, and the FFBC has a format to suit interest and budget. Whether you like best ball or super flex or classic managed leagues, there are drafts daily with entry fees starting at just $35. Jump into a slow or live draft today. If you like Dynasty, and I'm sure you do because you listen to the Dynasty Tradecast, the FFBC has almost 200 active Dynasty leagues with your fees starting at $77 and going up to $2,500. Near something incredible. Not a single dynasty league has folded in eight years. Not a single one. You'd think one would, but no. FFPC, they're on top of their game. New dynasty leagues are, are forming right now with startup drafts launching on a regular basis. Don't miss the FFPC experience. Go to myffpc.com and register now. That's myffpc.com, the home of, home, uh, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. All righty, folks. It's time to get into the sexiest game in all of Dynasty podcasting, and that is Dynasty Trade Tinder. Hassan, I know you said you're, you're an award-winning listener, so uh, you, you know what the, the game is. We, we have a trade. We are the first side, and onto our screen pops up that lovely sec, uh, second side. We decide whether we want to swipe, swipe left. That means, no thanks, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll wait for another one. Or swipe right saying, oh, yeah, let's get it popping. <laughs> All right, let's get some. Let's get it popping with the trade tender and our first one. We're, I, I gotta say, guys, we're pretty good looking to start us off here. Where's Stephon Diggs, Royce Freeman, and George Kittle? And onto our screen pops New Orleans Saints, not not Los Angeles Rams. New Orleans Saints, Michael Thomas. So is it? Wait, hold on. Can you clarify? Is this good, Mike Thomas, or bad, Mike Thomas? Well, it's bad, but it's normal. <laughs> Saints, my thoughts. <laughs> um, yeah, I you know looking in the mirror, I feel like I look pretty good here. This this is a tough one. I've I've kind of come full circle on Royce Freeman. Uh, great landing spot, the whole nine, and Russell Clay loves him, so I think that speaks volumes. Plus, I'm huge on Diggs, but then there's the Kittle thing, and I have Michael Thomas as a top five asset, so. Man, I'd probably just let my phone time out for a while in the app and then kind of reload back in and hope something else comes up so I don't have a hard decision to make. But I think I'm swiping... Ooh, I think I'm going to swipe left for now. All that hurts to say. Yeah, and I'm kind of with you on the on the, on the the swipe left thing. Uh, it's... I'm fairly... like Again, like with you, I'm fairly bullish on Stefan Diggs. Uh, he hasn't shown the propensity to stay healthy. But, but, you know, he's already being valued as a top, like, 14 or 15 wide receiver in startups. And if he puts together an actual season where he plays 16 games and stays healthy, how difficult is it for you to see him really sort of leap up into that? Like, how much closer is that the valuation gap between him and Mike Thomas close? And then, you know, you just add in Royce Freeman, who 
could potentially become uh, again, like you said, Russell Clay likes them. There's been a lot of like positive news in his direction. You know, you know, I don't really know if Booker or Daniel Henderson represent big threats, and running backs are tough to come by. So that's that's a asset that I really really want. Kittle is a sort of a take it or leave it at this point. I think it's a bit too much to give up for Mike Thomas. Uh, maybe if it's a different caliber of wide receiver, like. But I, I just think that the, that if Diggs were to stay healthy, it really changes this equation. Yeah, this is pretty much the Step on Diggs pro- podcast brought to you by Rotoviz Radio uh, today. <laughs> uh, I am huge on Diggs as well. I think that if there's one wide receiver who's not being consistently picked in the top twelve to fifteen that has an Antonio Brown type trajectory to his career, it's Stephon Diggs. He, he's the guy who has that ceiling, and now he's going to have the best quarterback he's had in his career. By far, and I'm, I'm not even the biggest Cousins fan in the world, but he's way better than Case Keenum and Teddy Bridgewater and all those guys. So Diggs has a plus quarterback situation now. Royce Freeman's entering a situation where he can beat the RB1 pretty easily, pretty quickly. And Kittle's a nice throw-in if you want to be able to trade him later on. So I'll, I'll, I'll take Diggs here if, if for no other reason than I trust his quarterback situation long-term more, more. And I think that he's a similarly valued talent that has you know a nice trajectory. So... Let's move on to our next one, and it's going to be We Are Mr. Todd Gurley. And onto our screen pops a trio of Alvin Kamara, John Ross, and Devontae Parker. Uh, what are your thoughts on this one, Hassan? Oh, man, you're going to get Devontae Parker all over this team. Um, it's uh, – you got – I'm I'm a really big Gurley fan, and uh, – I, it's really difficult to tell because Kamara's coming off that like ridiculous season. And then on adding the fact that you've got Mark Ingram suspended for four games and just got ridiculous production from Kamara. So the question really is, what do we think of Parker and Ross? Uh, I'm not so sure Parker will break out. You know I mean? We're in, entering year four here. I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, I don't know if I'm willing to sell low on him, if I own him anywhere. Ross is a big question mark. He, he's got game-breaking speed and he's got... A head coach who has absolutely no idea how to deploy his offense. Like uh, it's it's AJ Green, and then there's like nothing else, right? Like, I mean, John Ross feels like if you were to acquire him and he was to actually ban out, and by that I mean they give you at least 200 PPR points over the course of the season, then absolutely, it's just such a hard equation. I'd, I'd probably be swiping left and keeping Gurley here. Yeah, I'm uh, I, I'm the Camara guy. I, I think uh, technically it's kind of like the Sterling Shepard guy, except um, Camara is actually uh, hashtag elite. Uh, I, I don't think in any way I can swipe right here, just because I have almost zero interest in John Ross and almost zero interest in Devonte Parker. And I know I should probably not be so soured on both of them, but I just I'm kind of done. You know, and Ross, we didn't really give a chance. I haven't given a chance to. I drafted him a few places, and you know, I just kind of <laughs> with Hassan said, I don't want, I don't love really anything about being a number two in Cincinnati with Marvin Lewis. It's just, that does not intrigue me whatsoever. Parker could very well finally break out, uh, but I'm kind of sick of waiting. So I'm taking the the dynasty RB one and holding as much as it hurts to turn down an opportunity to go on a date with Alvin Kamara. There we go. Uh, I am also going to swipe left here. And I, I'm a big John Ross guy. I, I'm trying to acquire him in every dynasty league right now. But 
this isn't the way I'm going to acquire him by giving up Todd Gurley. I, you know, there's yes, we saw that down season from him in year two, but I don't see a scenario where Todd Gurley's not an RB one, top five running back for the next four or five years, and that's the type of production where you, you, it's invaluable. You know, it's going to give you fantasy championships for years. Kamara, he's certainly going to be a very good player, but I, I just don't see him as the. And he won leagues when he was a you know a tenth round redraft pick, but I don't see him as a consistent league winner at the running back position the way I, I see Gurley and Ross and Parker just don't move the needle enough. So let's move on to our final one of the night, and that's going to be we are Tevin Coleman, Duke Johnson, and Dante Pettis, and onto our screen pops the highly volatile. Some people think he's the sexiest uh, lady at the bar. Some people think that he's just he's just okay. He's 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 just Jill. Um, no offense to any Jills out there. Um, so, uh, Dan, uh, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, the best ball qualifier makes it a heck of a lot closer than if it wasn't, just because you are getting a lot of big weeks potentially out of out of Coleman and Duke, and potentially Pettis if he pans out like we hope he does, but. I'm also pretty bullish on Darius Geis. So I think I'm going to go ahead and you know, get my hair did, my nails done, and we're going to go on a date with Darius Geis. We're swiping right here. All right. I will give my feedback here. I actually made this trade, and it was the other way around. I I traded Geis for this trio. And that was something to be in just from a, you know, team, no one cares about your fantasy team, but uh, I didn't have any running backs besides guys. So I was like, you know what? I need to get some running backs to compete uh, this year. So I got the, the, the pairing of Tevin and Duke. And also I, I think that if there's a Jarek McKinnon for, you know, as far as a value spike for next off season, it's one of Tevin Coleman or Duke Johnson, if not both. So I think both guys can see a, a, a nice value boost next year. So it's a, it's a buy for this year. And the fact that both guys will have some big weeks, as well as a buy for next year because both guys should have a value boost when they move to a new team. Uh, I'm with you, Nathan, uh, if only because Dante Pettis becomes that best ball asset you kind of want to acquire in a trade like this. Uh, He could just be the guy that puts up those monster weeks. We don't know when they're coming, but because it's best ball, he'll hopefully crack your lineup a few times. And again, Coleman and Duke also have some of those rando games. Yeah. You know, despite being buried on the other depth charts, it just happens and you want those points. And then, like you said, going forward, maybe next season, one of these two guys could be the next Jarek McKinnon. It's a tough one to say no to, but uh, I'm going to go with the package of players. All righty. Before we wrap up the pod today, uh, I want to let you know you can support the pod by subscribing to and rating the Rotoviz radio channel on iTunes. Do that and you'll be eligible to win a free $35 entry to a league for our sponsor, the FFPC. Go to iTunes, leave a review with your name in it, and then listen to the future episodes to hear if you are the winner. Also, if you're interested in being an FFPC, FFPC league with some of the Rotoviz writers and podcasters, email us at rotovizradio at gmail.com, and we'll get that set up. That's right. Come at us, bros. We'll dominate you in FFPC. Done. But anyways, I'm being a hardo, so uh, <laughs> let's let's wrap us up. Some nice tight end discussion, some nice uh, tender going on today. It was a really fun episode. Uh, thanks a lot for coming on, uh, Hassan. Really appreciate it. Anything, any other, other thoughts before we wrap us up? No, thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, if you haven't uh, subscribed to Rotovis, please consider uh, doing so. Awesome sauce. Dan, any last words? I'm just – I'm go- Hassan, you get a gold star for the day. This is the most anyone's ever agreed with me on the show. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm truly – 
truly honored to have you here. So thank you so much, Son, for coming on. It was a really fun show. And certainly this will not be your last trip to the Dynasty Tradecast if I have anything to say about it. So thanks a lot, guys, and we'll see you next week.